Everybody ready for Christmas? All right, you got a little homework assignment this next week. We're getting fairly close at our house. We've watched Griswold Family Vacation once at least. People have come and decorated the outside of our house. Plans are in place to purchase a Christmas tree this coming Friday. But here's your assignment. I've been hearing some news stories that there's a shortage of Christmas trees this year. And I feel really bad for our neighbors. So here's what our family wants to do. We want to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to get one before we get one. So here's what I need you to do this next week. I need you to encourage everyone you know to go and buy a Christmas tree before Friday. Buy two or three. We might just get there on Friday and they might all be gone. I don't know. But it's a great season, isn't it? Preparing for, for times of rejoicing and, and celebration. Last week we kicked off the Christmas season by looking at Philippians chapter 2 that we're going to continue in today. Last week's sermon can be summarized by basically saying, Christmas screams, God is for us. And so we looked at Philippians 2 specifically where it talked about Jesus' mindset of leaving heaven for you and I because he considered you and I more significant than staying in the realm of heaven. And so last week we understood that God is for us, that he sees you and I as significant. And so this morning we're continuing on. Last week we looked backward. This morning we're going to look ahead during this season. So open back up to Philippians 2. If you have your Bibles with you, otherwise it will be on the screen this morning. Philippians 2, beginning with the first verse. Philippians 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let us pray. Everlasting God, we pray now that you would take your word that you've given to us and that you would grant us understanding. We pray that you would take your word and that you would equip us and prepare us. We pray that you would take your word and burn your promises in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
when mom's car is pulling in the driveway, what's happening inside the house? You're emptying all sippy cups of pop. You're shutting off the television. You're putting library books out on the couches as though you've been reading them. And you're looking anywhere and everywhere for uh, candy wrappers and throwing them away and actually putting them at the bottom of the garbage just in case she's the first one to open the garbage next time. This is how you prepare for the return of mom, right? For some of you, this is bringing back some memories probably of how you prepared when your parents were returning when you were a teenager or younger. You kind of had a general idea of the time that they were supposed to be home. They probably gave you some instruction, you know, have this done and that done. And so you kind of tried to time it exactly right. As they came in, what do you do? Start to shove everything under the bed or in the closet. Or maybe get everything in the dishwasher and then be like, hmm, it was in there, someone just forgot to turn it on. You did whatever you had to do to prepare for your parents, and there were certain expectations that you had. Because when your parents returned, what did you want to hear? Well done. Looks great. Wow, I can be gone more. Everything seems to be running fabulously. This morning, I have a very simple question for you. Are you ready? Not are you ready for your mom or are you ready for your parents? Are you ready for Jesus? Are you ready for Jesus? This is what the Christmas season is all about. And not ready in the sense, are you ready to celebrate the coming of Jesus? No, no, no. Are you ready to celebrate and are you, more importantly, ready to welcome Jesus when he returns a second time? Now this morning's topic, the second coming of Jesus, always throws up red flags. Everybody kind of gets on edge really fast because some love this subject, some hate this subject, and some is just kind of out there in the clouds a little bit. But the second coming of Christ isn't exactly something that's celebrated very often because it's just kind of a little bit weird. It's different that someone coming out of the clouds and then everybody in the universe gathering around the one who's coming out of the clouds and establishing a new kingdom forever. That's just a little bit different, right? It's okay culturally to celebrate something that happened years ago of a pretty little baby in a stable and tell nice stories about that. That's culturally acceptable. Even if you don't believe it, it, that's okay. You can celebrate that. That's a good thing. The moment you start talking about this idea that Jesus is going to come out of the heavens and is going to establish his kingdom here forever and get ready, when that happens, there's going to be massive events happening all around the world gets a little bit odd really fast. But that's the focus of Christianity. Christianity isn't about all that happened in the past. Your hope is not built upon something 2,000 years ago. Your hope is built upon something that's coming. And his name is Jesus. And that's why we have verses like this in Philippians chapter 2 that we're going to zone in on this morning. Philippians 2. There's a little bit of a phrase here that I hope you catch. Verse 16. The Apostle Paul writes, Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud. The day of Christ. Well, what he's referring to here is he's referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's referred to in a variety of ways throughout the uh, New Testament. There's a new word that's used. We use the word advent, which just means coming. 
But that comes from some words in the New Testament that referred to coming as well, where there was this descending out of the clouds of Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm looking forward to this day, and everything that I've talked to you about now is, is building toward this day. If you read on in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, he says it even a little more succinctly. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. And so right there in Philippians 3, he's again reminding us, pointing us to the ultimate hope of Jesus returning. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is again writing to people who are struggling. And he says to them, hey, I hope you're not grieving as those who grieve who have no hope. And then he quickly flips after saying to them, you as Christians should grieve differently. And the reason we should grieve differently, he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, is because someone is coming out of the clouds. Jesus is going to return, and it's going to be a massive event. And then we've got this whole book in the New Testament called Revelation. You've probably heard of that at some point. Some of you have been bold enough to read it. Others of you have just ignored it. Revelation, a whole book, is dedicated to one central event, the return of Jesus Christ. Revelation was written to give encouragement to Christians who were being persecuted, give encouragement to Christians that were discouraged and they were just floundering. Encouragement to Christians who were wondering, wow, this Roman Empire seems to be expanding. And is Rome king of the universe? Revelation was written to remind them that, hey, there is a lamb who is in heaven right now who has conquered. That lamb, though, is preparing to return and is going to return as a lion and is going to conquer once and for all. So you got a whole book in Revelation, and the authors, the, the people who put the Bible together ultimately, the leaders of the church, put Revelation at the end as the capstone in a sense, reminding us that, hey, this is it. This is where we're going. This is our hope. And so our hope is the coming of Jesus Christ. And when you hear that this morning, you might be in one of three camps. When some people hear about the coming of Jesus Christ, they're just apathetic, which means you just... You simply don't care. Like, hmm, that's interesting to write books about and, and interesting to have a class about. But for the most part, it's, it's not in your mind at all. Some of you, when we talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ, you just now have confusion. You've heard all sorts of stuff. You've read all sorts of books. And you're just uncertain. Like, is Jesus going to come and then are we going to have a bunch of tribulation Am I going to be gone by something called a rapture? And then is Jesus going to come? And you're just you're all over the place. You're, you're confused by a variety of things. There's other people when you talk about the second coming of Jesus, it just brings hysteria. It literally brings hysteria. Almost a nervous breakdown because they're thinking, oh, things are so bad. Look what's happening. And, and Jesus is coming. And next thing you know, it dominates their whole thinking. They're watching the news every night. For any and every world event, and they're seeing that as another chess piece being moved around, and they're, they're just saturated with it. And so talking about the second coming of Jesus can put us in a variety of places. I, I'm going to simplify it for you this morning. And I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about the second coming of Jesus Christ in 60 seconds. Does anybody want to time me? 60 seconds. 
everything you need to know about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Here you go. Jesus is coming again at a time when no one knows it, but it could happen at any moment today. Therefore, you and I are supposed to expect it and be ready for it. Did I make it? All right. Dismissed. That's it. That's what you need to know. That's what the Apostle Paul was hoping for. That's what he was expecting. The Apostle Paul, if you read the New Testament letters, was expecting at any moment Jesus could return. But let's make this crystal clear. No one knows when that's going to happen. Not only does no one know when it's going to happen, no one even has an idea of when it's going to happen. Jesus said that in Mark chapter 14. He says, hey, bad stuff's going to be happening. There's going to be seasons of hurricanes, seasons of just war and, and famine. The Son of Man is going to come, but no one knows, not even the Son has an idea when he's going to return. So the moment, the moment you hear prediction, run the other way. Turn the channel. Put the book away. The moment you hear prediction, stop. Because all of us only know one thing. Jesus is returning, and we know the general season. There's going to be bad stuff happening. Well, what we see is from the time the New Testament was written, there's been bad stuff happening. The Apostle Paul thought he was in the season when Jesus was going to return. Martin Luther, who founded a lot of the churches that, that we see around us today, 500 years ago, if you go back and read some of the stuff he wrote, wrote was like, whoa, this is bad. The Pope is the Antichrist. Be ready. Jesus could come at any moment. So everybody was living in expectation. You and I are supposed to be living in expectation of Jesus coming. But here's what happens for the majority of us. We've gotten really comfortable. We've gotten really comfortable, so this can be really hard to hear. You and I don't need Jesus to come. We don't need Jesus. We've got it pretty good right now, right? We've got gifts under the tree. We've got some PTO coming up. We've got the grill started. We've got people coming over. We've got a retirement account that's growing a little bit. We've got unemployment falling. We don't need Jesus. And so there's no expectation of Jesus. But you travel to a different place around the world, it's vastly different really fast. Because guess what? They don't have comfort. They're living in constant fear. So we have to quickly remember as Christians to take perspective that we're part of a global movement. Now, I'm not saying anything bad about the blessings we have. That's great, right? Let's not ask for anything different. That's good that we've got presents. That's good that we've got great meals and parties and celebrations. That, that's awesome. We should celebrate it. We should want more of it, but we should be mindful really quick to remember that the majority don't have it. The majority will not have it until Jesus returns. And so here's what I'd encourage you to do as you party this month. And I think you should party hard. I think you should celebrate and have fun, bake, open gifts. But every celebration should do this. It should feed your hunger for a greater celebration. Every celebration should feed you like, wow, won't this be fabulous if this is just a foretaste of what's to come permanently? 
because that's what's going to happen when Jesus comes. Every celebration we have is just a foretaste of the greatest celebration that comes when Jesus returns. That's the day of Jesus Christ. And so when you think about the second coming, let me close this portion this way. Don't spend time in endless speculation, but spend time in earnest preparation. Don't spend time in endless speculation, but rather earnest preparation. And so let's narrow it down. Just this last week, there's big news all around the world, right? The President of the United States is declaring Jerusalem the capital of Israel. I don't mean to offend anyone this morning, but guess what? That hasn't altered God's plan at all. God is not dependent upon the President of the United States of America. Is it a big deal? Probably it is a big deal. It's bringing a variety of persecution and problems to the Middle East. There's a lot going on. It's causing havoc for Christians all around the world, and it's going to cause more pain. Now, is it right or wrong? I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is we can look at that type of event, and people can get all up in arms. I'm like, oh, that's it. That's it. Revelation chapter 16, verse 4 was pointing right to that. No, 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 no. It was not pointing to the President of the United States doing X or Y. Because Revelation 16, 17, 18 has been relevant for every Christian throughout history since the revelation was given. And so here's what I'd encourage you to do. You see news like that, let it be a reminder of this. That there's trouble coming, but something greater is coming as well. Jesus himself. So the moment you see news like that and it causes you to begin to speculate, use that as a reminder to prepare and pray. You know, so we, you know what you and I should be doing right now? We should be praying for the Christians in Bethlehem. Because the Christians in Bethlehem now are going to be facing greater persecution. The Christians in Iraq are not celebrating Christmas with presents. The Christians in Iraq are hiding. Because there's trouble coming. There's trouble already there. So my whole point is this. Let all of those political events be reminders of the challenges in creation, but the promise of the return of Jesus Christ. So we cannot let the political events become the flags that we wave, but the political events drive us to our knees and to action. And so today, let's remember to prepare rather than speculate on what's going to happen. So how do we prepare? How do we prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ? Well, the Apostle Paul makes it really simple here in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, he very simply says, I'm going to summarize in one simple sentence. Be who you are. Be who you are. How do you prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ? Let's look here in Philippians chapter 2. How do I get to that sentence, be who you are? He starts in verse 12. He says, therefore, my beloved. In other words, remember, I do this all the time. You see the word therefore? Circle it. Put an arrow to the stuff that's before it. Why? Because the author is saying, hey, in light of what I just said, now do this. So the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, in light of the fact that Jesus has been declared king of the whole universe, do this. And what does he say to do? My beloved. Don't miss this. Don't just rush over these little phrases. My beloved. It's powerful. The Apostle Paul hardly knows these people who's going to be reading these letters. But why does he say beloved? Because that's who you are. You are God's beloved. You are God's treasure piece. We talked about this last Sunday. Why else would Jesus leave heaven? 
He left heaven because you're his treasure piece. You are his beloved. So who you are, who are you? You're God's beloved. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Very simply, what is he saying here? Hey, keep on being obedient. That's it. He's saying, beloved people of God, be obedient. Obey Christ. And he says, he goes on here in verse 14 then, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. If you're, you got your Bible again, I would just encourage you to circle therefore, but then underline beloved and children of God because this is who you are. You are the beloved of God. You are a child of God. Very simply, the Apostle Paul is saying this. Hey, you're a child of God. Obey God. This is who you are. Notice this. He doesn't say, hey, obey, so that when God comes, the credits are higher than the debits when it comes to the judgment seat. That's critical to see. He's not saying, hey, make sure you obey so that God accepts you when Jesus returns. Some of us are used to that message. We use the judgment seat as what? The guilt to drive obedience. There's, there's an element of truth in that that we're going to stand before God. But obedience can't put us in the right place before the judgment seat. Only a position as a child of God, being the beloved of God. And so who are you today? You are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It says in John chapter 1 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we become children of God by believing in him, Jesus. And so today, who are you? You're a child of God. The Apostle Paul is simply saying, be who you are. Folks, this isn't rocket science. It's actually quite simple how to prepare for the coming of Jesus. Be who you are. And some people are looking for more. You're like, well, there's got to be something greater. Is there something greater than being who God created you to be? Could there be anything more significant than resembling and reflecting who God created you to be? Can there be anything more significant than hearing from the most powerful person in the universe, well done, good and faithful servant? There's nothing more significant there's nothing more significant than simply being who you are. So how do you prepare for the second coming of Christ? You obey Jesus. Pretty simple. None of you are probably surprised that you came to church this morning and you were told to obey Jesus. That's it. You're the child of God. Obey Jesus. But here, now, be ready. When you obey Jesus, you're going to be different. Look with me here in verse 15. I, I'm... I'm, I'm just kind of summarizing. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Translated very simply, obey and be prepared, you're going to be different. Why? Because we live in a world that has fallen. Christians should be the last people to be surprised by evil. Because if you've read the revelation, the message from God in his book here, the Bible, you're told it's bad and it's going to get worse. So why are you so surprised? Now, this doesn't mean we should be wandering around going, eh, bad stuff's going to happen, we should just let it happen. Not at all. God asks us to be a light in the midst of evil, to do what we can do. 
And, and our faith, our success is not dependent upon the changing of circumstance, but faithfully executing as the people of God. And so be prepared. It's going to be different. As one who's a child of God, you're going to march to a little different drumbeat. And we should not be surprised when bad stuff is happening all around us. I was at Target a couple weeks ago with my kids, and, and uh, we were getting ready to leave, and they're just begging for something. So I'm like, here, bag of Cheetos. Take it and be quiet. Get in the van. So you get in the van, and I'm like, here. I open the bag of Cheetos, and I said to him, I said, here, I'm going to show you how to eat a Cheeto. Eat the, hold the Cheetos in this bag, eat with this bag, and then right when you get out of that Cheeto, lick your finger clean. Right? I'm thinking, this is going to work great. Get home. Get home. Won't be Cheetos all over the car. Hands will already be clean. Get home. What do you think we have on our hands? Two hands with Cheetos all over them, a face with Cheetos all over them, and Cheetos in the car seat. You didn't listen to a single thing I said. The Cheetos in one hand only. Now, should I have been surprised at all? To think any different would have been foolish. For us as followers of Christ, to think any different that obedience to Christ is going to be easy and comfortable is pure foolishness. Because everything around us is crumbling. Everything around us is broken. Again, this is a delicate message in the sense that we're not just walking around saying, ah, to hell with everything. We're walking around with a realistic understanding of who we're supposed to be and a realistic understanding of what's going to happen around us. And so today, God's message for you is this. Be who you are and be prepared that who you are is not always going to be acceptable to the people around you. Be who you are. So shine as lights. That's what he says there in Philippians 2. It, it matches perfectly with Matthew chapter 5 that we read earlier in our service. That was Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount. The whole message of the Sermon on the Mount is what? Shine like stars. You're the light of the world. Don't go hide in the corner. Be the light of the world. Jesus saying to his followers that this is who you're supposed to be. Be it. And even in the midst of that, that we read this morning in Matthew chapter 5, I hope you caught it. He says what? Persecution's coming. Blessed are you when you face persecution. But it should not change who you are. And so we prepare for Christ by being who we are, children of God. Well, how? How? How do we know what to do, who to be? Look with me. This is lastly important. Philippians 2. Look down in verses 15 and 16. So 15 and 16 just come right together. At the end he says, shine as lights in the world. 16, he just transition. He says, holding fast to the word of life. So he says, shine as lights in the world as you hold fast to the word of life. The hold fast to the word of life is the how. Word of life is, is Paul's way of interpreting the revelation that God has spoken to you, his word. Now, Apostle Paul didn't mean the Bible because they didn't have the Bible at that time. The Apostle Paul was writing the Bible, literally, when he wrote that letter. But the Bible contains the revelation of God, or in other words, known as the word of life. And so how do we know who to be? It's right here. It's in how God has revealed it to us in his word, the Bible. 
Now, this doesn't mean we worship the Bible. This doesn't mean that the Bible is a little recipe book where we find anything and everything. It simply means that the Scriptures are the foundation because in the Scriptures, the word of life is given to us. I think the author and pastor John Piper says it best. He says this, So I am giving you no guaranteed regimen or device or scheme or trick for spiritual power and health and fruitfulness. Bible reading is not magic. I don't know if you're reading the Bible and meditating and memorizing will give you power and health and fruitfulness. What I do know is, without it, you starve every grace that God means for you to thrive on in his world. There is a spiritual diet without which no Christian can be strong and healthy and fruitful, and that is a diet of the word of God. I think he says it just perfectly. The Bible's not a piece of magic carpet that's going to guarantee X and Y. However, without the Bible, you're going to starve yourself of every grace and gift that God has for us. Because it's through the Bible that God has made himself and his ways known to us. And so how do you prepare for the return of Jesus Christ? You cling to the scriptures. You meditate upon the scriptures. Why? Not because there's going to be an exam at the end. Because it's through the scriptures that we know God and the person of Jesus Christ. It's through the scriptures that we know the purposes and the ways of God. And so what does your diet consist of? Does your diet consist of a healthy dose of the word of God? Just the other night I was on the phone with a, with a friend actually from Seattle had called me real late on Friday night. Somebody I'd gone to college with and, and we were talking and uh, he's just going through some stuff and was wondering about different things. And he says, hey, I knew I could call you because I just know that you're going to have a word for me. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I'll have a word for you or not, but, but what's going on? Tells me the whole situation, and I said, I don't got anything for you right now. I don't know. And then he's kind of like, wow. He's like, man, but you just, you read that Bible all of the time. And, he, and I stopped for a second and said, yeah, that's, that's true a little bit. Kind of caught me off guard, though, because this guy knew me when I used to read the Bible through cover to cover at least five times a year, just for devotional reading, just boom, 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 boom. So I, just, I mean, I was just living in it, saturated in it. Now it's, it's one time a year through the Bible for devotional reading. My, my point is this, not building up myself, but there has to be an absolute healthy, steady diet of the Word of God in order to what? Maintain faithfulness, but also to maintain witness. And when I say maintain witness, I don't mean, so people are like, wow, he's strong. Maintain witness, I mean this. So you can provide the encouragement and the direction to others as needed. So you can be that witness that testifies, that encourages them in the path. Do you have a steady diet of the word of God? It's evident to the people around you when you have a steady diet of the Word of God. Be very frank. Put down the TV remote. Put it down. Put down the phone. Put it down. You want transformation, 
open up the word of life where you encounter the living God and let that transform your thinking. Let that shape your perspective. And then guess what? You're going to be ready. You're fully prepared for Jesus to return because the word of God is shaping you and forming you into who you are today. Very simple question for you as we close today. Who or what is shaping your life the most? Who or what is shaping your life the most? How many of you have a recipe book at home from your mom or your grandma or somebody in your family that you pull out and use? My wife's got a recipe book that's mainly got her grandma's recipes in it. And uh, so I, I usually like to cook from there if I want to win my wife's approval. So I'll use the grandmother's cookbook. Here's the problem, though. I cook according to the recipe the way grandma's got it written. And then I find out after the fact, well, that's not how it's done. Never put onion in it. Well, it says onion right here in grandma's recipe book. Well, what was shaping or forming the cooking? It was being with grandma. It was being present with grandma. Do you know what has shaped and formed the majority of us? Being with grandma, being with grandpa, being with dad, being with friends. All of that is fabulous as long as all of them were saturated in the word of God. And so today, who or what is shaping and forming you the most? Is it the word of God? Because guess what? Who or what is shaping and forming your kids and your grandkids the most? You are. You are. And so if you want to shape and form your kids to be who God created them to be, you better allow yourself to be shaped and formed by the word of God. Are you ready for Christmas? In other words, are you ready for Jesus to return? You're ready when you're being who you were created to be, the beloved, a child of God. Let us pray. Everlasting God, we thank you this morning for your promises. And Lord, I pray right now that you'd remind us, even if it means taking away our comfort for a season, God, take it away and remind us of the promise of Jesus returning. So I pray that you'd burn that promise in our hearts and our minds. I also pray this morning now that you would burn in our hearts and our minds a desire for your word. And I pray that your word would shape and form us. Lord, I pray that as the Apostle Paul wrote, hold fast to the word of life. Lord, I pray now that your word would shape us and form us. Lord, I pray you give each of us a desire to hold fast to the word of life. God, we thank you and we praise you and we ask and we simply say, come Lord Jesus, return and establish your kingdom and prepare us. In Jesus' name, amen.